Thanks for checking out this podcast. Remember, it's presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, Target Center, or XL Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota baseball, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. And Ticket King can take care of you for out-of-town concerts, sporting events, and more. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone! Touch them all, Joe Maurer! And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. It's a beautiful game Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. I didn't know they still had a team. That's baseball. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. You know who might want to see a chiropractor do more yoga after the whiplash he endured the other day is Jose Barrios. Oh, man. You're all for the hit-and-run jokes at the top of the podcast. It's a hit-and-run segue. <laughs> yeah. I I got to be honest. I we do, a, we do a segment on our radio show every Friday called Write That Down, which I think you're familiar with. Yes, write um, that down. So we, we write down, figuratively, predictions – and we hold each other accountable for those predictions. So we don't just make predictions like other sports radio shows. No, we are progressive. We keep track of our batting averages, our slugging percentages. And I found this one from the other. This is from August 28th, actually, from last year, so the end of last year, when mm-hmm. it was clear that he wasn't going to be called up as a September call-up. This is you or this is your co-host? This is me. Okay. I said, Jose Barrios, when he is called up, will perform much more like Miguel Sano than Byron Buxton, meaning... He'll figure it out right away, unlike Byron Buxton. Mm-hmm. Could not have been more wrong. Right. It's like he walked, he, he walked everybody in his yeah. major league, uh, four major league starts. That wasn't, he walked a couple guys too many in the first two starts for AAA, but I would have thought, even though he's 21 years old, and this is where you can laugh and say, I told you so, he shouldn't have been called up last year, but I'm pretty surprised. I thought he was going to have a lot more handle on his control and his command and uh, probably, quite frankly, his mind, too, yeah. in his Major League debut. But. Well, I, listen, I'm not going to get on the high horse and say, I told you so, but I think I think this is one of the reasons that I was against calling him. I'm, I'm not saying he had a 0% chance of succeeding last year. I mean, I'm the non-zero chance guy, right? But I think the assumption or this uh, like this assuredness that he was definitely going to dominate was a, a little misguided. And, you know, was he nervous in his first start? And can we attribute some of his early struggles to first start jitters or the terrible weather at Target Field? Like, yeah, probably. But, I mean, over his four starts, he completed just 15 innings, walked way too many guys. I think it was 12 walks to 20 strikeouts. So the strikeouts are really encouraging on one hand. Yeah. The fact that he surfaced in the majors at 21 is really encouraging on that same hand. But then when you flip over to the other hand, not only the walks, but the utter lack of command. The fact that when he needed a strike so badly against the Detroit Tigers on Monday, he couldn't reach for it with any of his pitches. Not the fastball, not even the four-seam fastball. His two-seamer runs 
away from everybody. Like it, it just dives, and that's going to be a great pitch for him. I still firmly believe once he figures out how to locate it. Yeah, no, no one on this show is saying, "Oh, it's oh, it's over." Correct. I think him and Buxton are still going to be stars. Absolutely. Do you put it this way? Would you say there is a percentage chance that both J.O. Barreos and Byron Buxton are perennial all-stars in the major leagues? Uh, yeah, I would say it depends on what you mean by perennial. You mean like almost every other year? No, I mean, I guess in the strictest definition of the word, will each of them make it consecutive years at least once in their uh, big league career? I think both of them will be all-stars. Okay. I'll commit to that. Okay, I, I still think Buxton... Look, Buxton's down there. He never really conquered AAA. You to keep in mind, he mo- he mostly coasted past AAA and um, and never really fully dominated yeah, he, that level. He hardly played in Rochester. So, yeah. but now, now you look and he, I know at the time of this of this taping, I believe he's out for a couple games with some kind of a back, tightened back or something. Which that's another thing. He's always injured too the mm-hmm. last few years. But it's there's really there's no shame except in 2016 when everything is public and everything right. is in your face and and uh, and prospects are being read about for years and years. Uh-huh. There's no shame in a 21 and a 22 year old having to go back down for some extra seasoning. Right. This is very standard practice. I would say that as of this recording, despite the fact that we learned this morning, Boreos had been sent out to AAA Rochester and. Um, Byron Buxton is is still there and working to earn his way back. I still think that that first round of the 2012 draft could be sort of one of the turning points of the Twins as a franchise. I mean, it's 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 terrible right now, and there's nobody, including myself, that's going to argue things are looking good for the Twins right now. They're just it's bad. Ten and twenty-seven is ten and twenty-seven. The Braves just fired their manager, and they're basically the same team as you. Except they were trying this winter to lose yeah. this summer. The Twins ostensibly were trying to win. I'm not saying that the color of the Twins' fortunes right now is rosy. It's a it's a bleak outlook. But I guess similar to the Braves, who have a lot of good young players, and and you could see them kind of turning it around. I still think there are these silver linings for the Twins amid the morass of this season and and one of them frankly is still Boreos. I, I think he showed a changeup at times that was like wow uh, that's a 21 year old that has that refined of a secondary pitch his curveball mm, so so he got some swings and misses he got some strikeouts with it uh, it has a little bit of ways to go I think but it's not an embarrassing pitch and, and from what you read in the scouting reports it's going to be a plus pitch someday so that plus a 94 95 96 mile an hour fastball Figure out the command, kid, and we'll see you back up here sometime. I imagine you'll see him again this summer. I know for sure you'll see Buxton again this summer. Um, so is it bad right now? Yes. Uh, are there still things you can point to that, that are actually positives and, and you're not just digging for positives? Yeah, absolutely. And for me, Boreos is one of the top ones. Buxton also belongs in that conversation. Uh, the, the Braves thing is interesting because right now, as we sit here, the Braves are one game worse than the yeah. Twins. The Braves are like nine and twenty-eight. Right? Yeah, I wrote this down this morning. So nine and twenty-eight Braves, who stripped down their roster this winter and are basically trying to lose. Yeah, just Actually, fired Freddie Gonzalez. And you say stripped it down. It's funny they they have stripped it down. It's the fourth lowest payroll in baseball. They've never been a huge payroll team, sure. but they've never been like bottom three, bottom four sure. payroll team. 
and they've filled those gaps temporarily with veterans like A.J. Pierzynski. They've had uh, Nick Markakis on their roster, but he's in his mid-30s now. Jeff Francoeur has been starting for them this season. Hmm. Kelly Johnson. So they're bringing back all these guys from six or seven years ago on your fantasy baseball team. I was just going to say, they're playing a weird 2010 (laughs) Roto Baseball League. Exactly. Um, And and they're mixing in some of the younger players. But like you said, they went into the season, the Braves, not thinking or nobody even the right. Braves were going into the season thinking all right we're going to well, contend with the Mets and with the Exactly. Nationals. I mean they traded uh Andrelton Simmons and they you know the the Justin Upton was with them Justin for a while. Upton, I can't remember the timeline on that. I'm trying to figure out uh uh shoot the Shelby Miller trade with Arizona that was another big move. I yeah. mean the Braves the Braves had a very different winner than the Minnesota Twins and yet here we are on the date of Freddie Gonzalez's official I love it how it's now relieved of his duties because that sounds like such a positive. Like well, I would love to be relieved of my duties. I don't want to have to load the dishwasher ever again <laughs> in my life. I would love to be relieved of that duty. Derek Wetmore has been allowed to explore other opportunities. Right. <laughs> it's like, in fact, he's been allowed to explore every other opportunity except for this one right here. We have given him permission to stand in the unemployment line. It's our full blessing. Uh, Nine and twenty-eight Braves. Meanwhile, the Twins are standing here uh, with a ten and twenty-seven record. And I'm not saying Paul Molitor should come under fire. I mean, he's in the second year of a three-year deal, and I personally think he's a pretty astute baseball guy and a really sharp dude. Uh, just saying, Freddie Gonzalez had the Braves in basically the same situation, and he is now, uh, he's probably got plenty of time to load and unload the dishwasher, actually, now that he's been yeah. relieved of his managerial duties. You know, I, I've been thinking about this. This is considering the expectations, and it wasn't like the Twins were coming out before the season saying, hey, you guys, pump the brakes a little bit on the expectations, and here's why. It was full steam ahead for everyone. And we've gone over the reasons. We've gone over the fact that they've hoped for about eight or ten different things. You wrote about 12 things they hoped for, actually, on our website. But as I look at this mess, most other pro sports organizations would for sure fire either the GM or the coach slash manager, depending on the sport, if not both. Right. Maybe even starting midseason. But the Twins aren't every other organization. I don't see Jim Polad firing Terry Ryan. I don't see Terry Ryan firing Paul Molitor. I, I think it's the organization is so loyal in many ways to a fault. It's going to come down to if there are major changes and if things don't get better, the media attention is going to keep going in that way. The fans are going to mm-hmm. continue to be either angry or apathetic. Um, I think one or both of those guys we're talking about, Terry or Paul, if there's going to be changes, I think they're going to have to – step down themselves i just i i don't see jim polad firing terry ryan unless the public pressure becomes so thick and so intense but the difference with baseball and say like the vikings so the vikings leslie frazier playoffs next season things go awry you're fired right brad childress nfc championship game the next season halfway into it things go awry you're fired right and that's kind of the football culture because when things go the wrong way in, in the nfl you might have four or five home games left in the season, and that's going to be sixty or 70,000 people raining boos upon your coach and voicing their displeasure. And so the criticism becomes so much more magnified and vocalized. In baseball, it's just a slow, creeping death, and fans just mm-hmm. stop going to your games. Right. It's not like you're going to get 40,000 people at Target Field on, on August 15th right. to just 
to chant Fire Ryan or Fire Molitor. Fans just get bored and stop paying attention. And in Detroit last night when Paul Molitor pinch hits Oswaldo Arcia to face a lights-out lefty, there's no Twins fans there in Detroit at a Twins-Tigers game saying, Molitor! Yeah, well, okay. Molitor, you suck! What happened? At first... So at first, RC is in the on deck circle, and I can remember Dick and Bert. I tuned in. I was well, after they blew the lead, the eight nothing lead. I was or after it became eight nothing. I just I checked up, but I, I checked back in as they were coming back. Okay, and I saw that, and he's pinch hitting Arcia for Danny Santana. Right, and it's a, I believe it was a one run game at the time. I think that's accurate. And there were two outs and nobody right. on base. And so at first, Dick and Bert were very very confused as to why Arcia would be pinch hitting for Danny Santana. They were focusing on, is Santana hurt? I don't think so. And I'm thinking, he's pinch hitting because he can hit a home run. What yeah. are you talking about? I, I didn't realize it was lefty pitcher. Right. My knee jerk, because Justin Wilson on the mound, Arcia doesn't hit lefties as well as righties. My knee jerk reaction was, Molitor, what? It, what? Well, then I took a step. I looked back at the lineup and I was like, oh, yeah. All right. Santana's batting ninth. It's the eighth inning. So in the ninth, Assuming an out, because that's the probabilistically the most likely outcome, no matter who's hitting. Assuming an out, all right, you got one, two, three, and then I have to face the closer. All right, I guess you'll take your chances there. This is your last opportunity to pinch hit Arcia. And despite the fact that he's a lefty and Santana could have swung right-handed, here's the secret about Danny Santana. He's not a good hitter. He's just not good. Mm-hmm. So, like, you can play the matchups and you can say, oh, I'd rather have the righty swing in Santana against Justin Wilson I think both of them have a pretty low chance of avoiding an out in that case. So take your chance with a guy that's going to maybe hit one out of the park every once in a while. I I do have my concerns about Oswaldo Arcia. He's kind of a goofball. Um, one thing that really stands out to me watching him, and if you've watched a lot on TV, you see this. It, it's more, it's more um, exaggerated when you're watching it on TV than it is when you're, say, watching from the press box or watching from the stands. Uh, when he takes a close pitch for a ball, he is auditioning for a Shakespearean play. Yeah. Like, he wants to be the star of Hamlet every time there's a close pitch. I don't get what it is. Like It's the Derek Jeter school of diving always. out of the way of an inside pitch. And here's the difference. Derek Jeter spent an entire career culminating respect of everybody. Media members, teammates, opponents, umpires, marketers, Pianists at the stadium, organists, I suppose, um, all, peanut vendors, everybody loved Derek Jeter. Love or hate the Yankees, you respected Derek Jeter, even even as all of that retirement nonsense got blown way out of proportion. But Oswaldo Arcia is a 24, I think maybe now 25-year-old, uh, without very much, quote, cred. Yeah trying to show up every umpire and pitcher across the entire league, and I, it's going to come back to bite I love him. when he looks back. Like he'll move his bat out of the way and his arm out of the way as if the ball barely almost, right. almost raised his yep. uh, his upper lip or and something. And it's like, nope, shaved the inside corner. And the catcher and the umpire are both looking at him like, what are you – calm down, dude. Just About, pump the he, brakes a little bit. He strikes out in that at bat, and the first person to appeal to the third base umpire to see if he checks swinged or not Oswaldo Arcia. Right. He gets up and he's like, no, no, ask him, ask him. That, I and the catcher and umpire are like, yeah, go ahead, tell him. Rings him up. You're up. <laughs> yeah. That should be allowed, by the way. Totally. That absolutely should be allowed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, speaking of the lineup and Danny Santana and all these guys, I had this epiphany last night just looking at the lineup card for the Twins. Yeah. And it's a little, it's a little bit different than it was at the beginning of the season and, and the order is different. 
But I looked at this pretty similar lineup in March, early March, when the spring training games were going on. And I thought, yeah, okay, if, if Byung-Ho Park can kind of click a little bit, maybe he doesn't hit 50 bombs, but if he can click a little bit, if Joe Maurer bounces back, I like this lineup, and I'm going through, yes, yeah, so no, a little punch there, Dozier, replicate that first half, okay. Um, yeah, okay, Miguel Sano, um, I think I already said him, but you get my point. Yeah, I mean, he's worth mentioning Miguel twice. Miguel Sano. Yeah. <laughs> okay, three times. Yeah. And now I look at it, and it's just, it's a burning brown paper bag of feces. Every spot, it's, oh, Maurer was off to a hot start, but he's been terrible lately. Okay, Nunez was hot, but now they're probably riding him too long, and he's going to start plummeting. Right. Oh, Plouffe and Dozier were benched on Sunday, and Dozier, since the All-Star break last year, is unusable. We're talking almost a full year of unusability there. Same collection, different opinion two months later, big time. I think the tendency this winter was to overrate a player like Trevor Plouffe and like Brian Dozier because it's a fun story to root for. They're both great guys and have been productive in spurts. You look at their career track record and outside of Dozier um, for, you know, a couple halves of a season and Plouffe for that stretch where he was Babe Ruth, um, neither has really put together a very solid productive year at the plate. Um, those are just two examples. I mean, look, I look further than that. I mean, Byung-Ho Park's been a great bright spot. I wrote about him for 1500ESPN.com the other day. What a signing that's been for the Twins. And I'm not saying that mockingly or derisively. The Twins have a heck of a bargain on their hands with Byung-Ho Park. Joe Maurer, a bit of a renaissance and come back to earth a little bit lately. But Eddie Rosario, man, Eddie Rosario's an automatic out. Danny Santana's an automatic out. The Twins' best hitting catcher is named Juan Centeno. Um, there's just too many holes in the lineup for it to be the sort of 850 or 900 run kind of lineup that the optimists wanted to see this winter. Look, unbalanced, I think the Twins have a decent lineup. I think if you go Joe Maurer into a decent on-base guy at number two, whoever that is, I don't think it's Nunez, but somebody, into Miguel Sano, into Byung-Ho Park, into Brian Dozier, into Trevor Plouffe. Like, that's not a bad top six. That's that's a top six that I think a lot of teams would be like, yeah, okay, that's respectable. That's that's a top six of the batting order that you could see being a playoff team. The problem is when you pair it with the worst pitching staff in the American League between their starters and relievers, and then you throw in three automatic outs at the bottom of the lineup, and then you throw in some bad luck in terms of clutch hitting stats and things like that. And then you throw in the fact that everyone's pressing way too much because they are in this huge hole and, and everyone feels a personal responsibility to dig out of it. Well, then, all right, then you've got a recipe for disaster, and that's exactly what the Twins have built right now. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the main pieces to that, my perception of him has changed in the past couple weeks, Joe Maurer, and I want to get there in a second, but first tell the listeners about... Uh, your mailing list that's becoming the hottest Twins mailing list in town. You really, yeah, you really want to get in on the front wave of this thing. It is the Five Thoughts mailing list. It's uh, it's one of those lists that exists to send you baseball analysis. Any Twins analysis you want slash need. Want is maybe the wrong word, and, and need is definitely too strong of a word in this season. 
But if you go to my latest five thoughts column, you can find that on 1500ESPN.com. There's a link at the bottom. Put your email in there, and I'll send you all my five thoughts columns for the rest of the season. I've been very pleasantly surprised with how many people have wanted to sign up for that. So a quick thank you to everyone who already has signed up. If you're not on that list and and you're listening to this podcast, it means you like the Twins. I think you'll want to be on that list. Phil, thank you for the tease. Now get to your point on Joe Maurer. Okay. Joe Maurer... After the uh, the first game of the series against the Tigers, another 0 for, 0 for 5 in that game, a couple of strikeouts, down to 275 on the season, 392 on base, which would, at one point it was around 450 leading the uh, the entire, both leagues, entire major leagues. Yeah. Not really slugging. He's got a home run, only a handful of doubles. April for him, though, drawing several more walks than strikeouts, mm-hmm. which is a key indicator. The last few years he's been striking out a lot more than walking, but throughout the first decade of his career, he was a more walks than strikeouts guy. Very Him, Albert Pujols, it's a very rare type of hitter. Uh, Bryce Harper, Maurer never had the power of those guys, but able to coax walks, hit doubles, get on base a lot. The month of May so far, and we're, uh, we're about two-thirds of the way through it later on this week, 191 on the month, not getting on base, not hitting. And the, and the reason, normally I would, just, I would just file it away as hashtag SSS, small sample size. And let, okay, whatever. It's a, it's a two-week stretch. It's you could go cherry pick any two-week stretch, hot or cold, and it doesn't necessarily um, serve as a microcosm for a hitter. But based on how old he is, and based on his last couple seasons, the reason I think this may represent a red flag is because he's much more likely to me. And you can tell me if you disagree. He's much more likely to regress back to what he's been the last couple of years sort of the struggling 265, 275 hitter who doesn't get on base nearly as often, he's much more likely to regress to that after a hot April than he was to have found the fountain of youth, mm-hmm. late 20s prime, 2011, 2012 Joe Maurer. Um, I just, I, I think he's still capable of, when he's feeling good, of looking like the old Joe Maurer for yeah. a month or for two weeks or for 10 days or whatever it may be. But I don't think at age 33 it's likely that he's just going to be the old Joe Maurer for six months. So right. you're not you're you're seeing it once in a while. He's going to look like that for three or four weeks, just like Kobe Bryant can drop 60. All right, hmm. what if they would have played two nights later? Do you think he's dropping 60? No, he's probably not playing. <laughs> you know, that's what I see Joe Maurer as right now. DNP coach's decision. All right, so we talked about this full disclosure. We've already talked about this on your radio show this week on my weekly hit 9:30. There's another quick plug. 930-1500 ESPN. You on uh, on Mondays. On, yeah, I'm Otherwise, sorry. you might tune in on like a Tuesday and hear a bunch of meat and potatoes football talk and wonder. Which is still a great show. Wetmore is a versatile guy. <laughs> right. I do have a mean John Gruden impression, or so I'm told. The couple things that I'll say about this, and, and I'll just... I'll paint this as a as realistic of a picture as I possibly can. We have a little bit more room for nuance on this podcast than we do on the radio just because of time constraints um, and because I think Judd's head would explode if I went into 15 minutes of nuance on Joe Maurer. Are you going to go into 15 minutes of nuance right now? Entirely possible. So if Let you want to go get a drink, come back. Yeah. yeah, if you want to go get like a yeah sports drink or something like that, uh, feel free. Um I'll just try to paint this picture as, as clear, like the way I see it. I'll try and elaborate it and um, enunciate, I guess, as clearly as I can. And if you think I'm a 
Joe Maurer backer or homer, and I'm being... Well, you realize I've been the number one Joe yes. Maurer backer in this town for about eight years now, yeah. ever since the criticism started. Actually, if you it's think, been six years since the criticism started. If, yeah, if you if think you I'm... Unseat me, you're right. welcome to. <laughs> if I'm too far in his corner, please feel free to call me out on that. A couple of things I'll say on Joe Maurer with that as the preamble. He had a great April, and no one is arguing against that. No one with an eye towards his on-base percentage. I mean, there are the stragglers on Twitter who are going to say, yeah, but one home run and nine RBIs, what have you done for me lately? Okay, that's true, but like basically half the time, and more than half the time when there's a runner on base, Joe Maurer is doing his job, which is to avoid an out, keep the baton moving. Now, if the rest of the lineup were doing its job, we would view Joe Maurer differently. I, I try to remove that sort of noise that, all right, Joe Maurer's teammates suck, and he's batting third ahead of some automatic outs. All right, he's not going to score many runs. He might not drive in many runs with Dozier hitting at the top of the lineup, all these kinds of things. But the thing that he can control, which is getting on base, and he does exceptionally well when he's right, he was doing exceptionally well. Uh, I think it's also inarguable that his May has been terrible. I'm not going to spend any time saying, oh, but if you look at this or if you look at... No, May's been awful, and his overall numbers as a result don't look great. But there's a confounding factor with Joe Maurer. Unlike most aging 33, 34-year-old former catchers turned first baseman by necessities, that's a subset of baseball players, by the way, unlike other people in that group, Joe Maurer is two-plus years removed from a concussion. And I think that's a confounding variable that we can't ignore. Not only were his knees and legs and body, generally speaking, Mm -hmm. probably just aching for 10 years, uh, that aged him, I'm sure. But there was also this thing that we don't know how it impacted him. We don't know how much it hurt him, how much it negatively affected his hand-eye coordination. We know his strikeouts were going up. We know his walks were going down. I personally don't believe he had as good of an eye at the plate after he moved out from behind the plate. Whether that's tracking pitches, whether it was the concussion, any of that stuff, I don't know. I just think Joe Maurer was a different and worse player. Worse hitter, actually, uh, after the concussion, after he moved off catcher. This year, it was like he kind of returned to that. It was April Joe Maurer was a renaissance man. He was spraying the ball all over. He was getting those doubles to left field down the line. He wasn't just hitting the dribblers up the middle. He was actually hitting line drives back up the box, and that's something that even vintage Joe Maurer wasn't necessarily accomplishing with the same success as this year's Joe Maurer. A couple of reasons for optimism in Joe Maurer. And if you listen to the radio hit, you know that we were talking about the stock market. And, Phil, your position was you want to get rid of your Joe Maurer stock right now, right? Is that right? You uh, While well, it's I on believe, the way down, you I, want to sell I believe it. My, 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 the way I put it on the radio was I would like to buy all of the Joe Maurer stock from you, which would be a terrible purchase. Which is backwards, which yes. Which is backwards of what I had in my head. I would be selling my Joe Maurer stock right now that I had at the beginning of the year. It's like Aaron Hicks last year. Sell Aaron Hicks stock when it's at its potential peak. Mm-hmm. Thinking, all right, if he's not a productive big leaguer, but he was an all-star level contributor for no. six weeks, get rid of that stock well, right now while you can cash now, in on it. Joe has a three ninety-two on base percentage right now. It's very simple. If you're if you're holding onto that on base percentage stock, 
do you think it will be higher than that at the end of the year? To me, I mean, maybe, but it's well, been higher before for him, but not yeah. in years, not in three years. I'm I'm selling on base percentage stock on Joe Maurer for sure. Here's here was my official stock market position because if you think it's going to be higher than three ninety two, you should buy it right now while it's undervalued and while people are trying to sell it at discounted rates to try and make a couple pennies on the dollar before they lose their investment. I issued a hold on the Joe Maurer stock. I am not willing to bet and be very bullish on Joe Maurer returning to being a 450 on base machine, but I don't think he's necessarily going to go in the tank. A couple of reasons. He's still hitting line drives at a great rate, and they're not the, excuse me, little fliner line drives that we've talked about on this podcast in the past. Last year, he'd hit a ball just kind of barely over the third baseman's head, and, well, the official score's got to make some designation, and mm-hmm. eh, it wasn't high enough to be a fly ball, but obviously it wasn't a ground ball. Line drive. And then he's got, like, this some crazy 30% line drive rate or something, and people are like, oh, Joe Maurer, he's he's almost back. He, he's got all these line drives. No, he was hitting the ball pretty weakly last year. This year, I'll argue those are different. They are smoking line drives more often than not now. April, uh, I was like a 30, let's see, I pulled it up here. He had like a 35, something like that. I, I don't have the number right in front of me. I, I, for some context, for people who aren't really familiar with line drive rates, sure, sure. if your line drive rate is over about 23 24%, mm-hmm. you're smoking the ball. Yeah. And we're talking about 30% in a month or 35% line drives. You, never will you be hitting 50% line drives in baseball. If you're hitting one out of every four batted balls as a line drive. You're Miguel Cabrera, you're yes. Mike Trout, you're Bryce Harper, you're, you're John smoking Carlos the ball. Yeah. Joe Maurer's May line drive percentage, according to fan graphs, is 34.3%. So one out of three balls he puts in play. Yes, it seems like one out of three is that little lazy fly ball to left field, and one out of three is a four-six-three double play. I get that that's the perception. And it feels like he's, I think this is accurate, he's striking out more in May than he was in April, too. So he is, a lot more. Fewer balls in play. A lot more. And so that's a problem. I'm not going to sit here and argue that, like I said, Joe Maurer's having a good May. I'm just saying there are some underlying reasons why I think he might not be he might not cr- his value won't crater. I don't think so. I'm not selling my Maurer stock. I'm not willing to be aggressively bullish on him. I'm just going to hang on to it. I'm going to let the market play itself out. We're just going to see what happens. I'm looking for market returns for my Joe Maurer stock. But see, here's another thing to think about, real quick. Here, yep. When he, if if I'm never going to compare him ever again to 2009 for the record. So right. any comparisons I say to the old Joe Maurer, I don't mean 2009. 2007, 2008, 2010. Even 12 and 13 sure. before he switched positions where he was still over 400 on base, over 300 batting average. So in those two, in 2012, 13 specifically, he never had months like he's having right now. He was such a consistent hitter across the board. In fact, yeah. uh, over the course of those two years, the worst month he had from an OPS standpoint was 780 in August of 2012, in which his slash line was still 275, 378, 402. So we're still talking about well above month. league average yeah. OPS plus. Right. That's his worst month where right. he's still hitting 275, 3. I mean, the month he's having right now is is so far and beyond the the 12 months I'm looking at here, the six months in 2012 and 2013, he just he never dipped like this. Correct. And so that's why, you know, he might still pop up again in like June for a few weeks, but that's why I'm leaning toward him still being 
more or less what he was the last couple sure. of years. Although he drew enough walks in April where his on-base will probably still be higher than it was last year just because yeah. he went on a walks barrage in April and led the league in walks for the first three or four weeks. Well, and he had a terrible year last year by all accounts, and he still had a three thirty-eight on-base percentage. So, like, he's just always going to be an on-base guy, which I think is inherently undervalued, I think. They're still not by baseball GMs, but by a lot of fans. And even if you want to extend that to us, to media members, we don't pay enough attention to a hitter's job, which is simply to avoid an out. If everyone in the lineup avoids an out, you're going to score infinity runs and you're going to win the World Series. Yeah. There will be mercy rules. I remember writing a piece on this in my uh, in one of my many Joe Mauer defense pieces from mm-hmm. a few years ago. And I wrote about the importance of on-base percentage versus the importance of slugging percentage as as it uh, pertains to team run scoring. And I went and I looked at something like the last 12 American League uh, run scoring leaders, team run scoring leaders. I remember this, yeah. And I went, and you can find this. I'm sure it might still be out there, although we changed websites. So I don't know if it's still out I there checked. or not. The archive site is working now. It's working now? Okay. For all your old pieces so we can find all the times that you – Praise Jamie Carroll, right. and it turned out to bite you in the butt. So maybe that's out there somewhere. But my the point I'm making is, if you looked at those 12 teams, so the te- like the Rangers uh, led the league in runs one year, the Yankees a few times, the Red Sox a yeah. few times. Okay, then where did those teams that led the league in runs rank in on base, and where they ranked in slugging, and where they ranked in home runs? Sure. And I actually pulled home runs versus on base because slugging can incorporate some uh, – slugging is a little bit misleading. You can hit a lot of singles and have a a high slugging percentage, which isn't necessarily indicative of your power. Right. And all but, I believe, all but one or two of those teams were either first or second in on base, but they went all over the map with home runs. Sure. I mean, the, the Giants won a World Series finishing last in home runs three years ago or or whenever it was, a couple years ago. So now you you translate that to individual players. What's more valuable? Would you rather have, if you're talking about, this is from, uh, I think this is from the book, the Tom Tango book, yeah. playing the percentages in baseball. It's you just called a, the book. Right. Would you rather have, you got an 800 OPS player here and an 800 OPS player here. Would you rather have the guy who gets on base 40% of the time and slugs 400, equaling an 800 OPS, or the guy like the Kevin Mensch who gets on base at a 300 clip but slugs at a 500 clip. Well, there's got to be guys on base moving the chains in order for you to rack up those runs. It's the same OPS, but one of them's inherently more valuable. Yes. On base percentage, at least from my perspective and from all the studies, on base percentage is inherently more valuable than slugging percentage. Or any, more, more predictive, too. Right. And anyone you might be naming, if there's people who are off the top of their heads disagreeing with this, well, what about well Bryce Harper? leads the league in on-base percentage. Right, he's a and great hits hitter. a bunch of home runs, too. Yeah. Anyone you might be thinking of from a power standpoint, also like, well, what about David Ortiz? Look at David Ortiz's on-base percentages over the years. Yeah. He's getting on base all the time. He's Not only is he hitting 35 to 40 home runs, but he's always on base. So I don't know where we were going with that, other than Joe Maurer still gets on base quite often, probably not the same hitter he was three years ago, even with the April resurgence is my final point on that. I have four quick reasons. This is my BuzzFeed article for you. Okay. Four reasons why I'm holding Joe Maurer stock, and then I want to get into this Robbie Grossman thing, who... The savior. By the way... The outfield it, savior. I'm going to make this guess right now, and I hope that this podcast publishes before it happens. I am going to bet you that Robbie Grossman finds his way onto the Twins roster in the very near future. 
just let's make sure before we make any roster moves there that we check with whoever. Let's check with Robbie to make sure he wants to play in the majors <laughs> before we go waving someone off the 40-man roster this time. I Robbie, remember. are you sure you want to play yeah. on the, on this major league I mean, you're team? You're 26 years old. you yeah. got your future to think about. Are you 100% sure? Because we don't want to go DFAing poor Juan Centeno over here. All right? Kind of need him as the starting everyday catcher for the rest of the way. Um, I am going to predict that Robbie Grossman will make the major leagues, but we'll talk about that move in one second because I want to say four things about Joe Maurer to just further enunciate and, and clarify my point so that if anyone disagrees with every single thing I've said so far on Joe Maurer, at least we can be clear on our positions. And you, you, you won't sort of miscast what I'm saying about Joe Maurer. Four reasons I'm holding his stock. One, Byung-Ho Park's presence on the roster allows the Twins to save Maurer's knees and legs and whatever else aches and dull pains throughout the course of the season. It allows Joe Maurer to DH a higher percentage of the time than he would on a roster with, say, Kenny's Vargas. Thus making him a less valuable player. But... Valuable, pl- Less valuable in terms of positional flexibility or in terms of defensive contributions. But I would argue his increased offensive production because of the lack of sort of deterioration, wear and tear, I'd argue that offensive output mitigates some of the lost value from not playing as much first base. Reason number two. Mentioned it. Line drives. While his month of May has not been good, he's striking out a lot more. Those are all bad things. Um, he's disagreeing with umpires a lot more, which very politely. I think we could argue. Oh, come on. Are you sure that was are a strike? Are you sure, Blue? I don't know, Blue. I don't know, Blue. I'm not sure I agree with that Have call. Have a good day. All right. And uh, so he's all of those things are bad. But, hey, I think that says more about home plate umpires than it does about Joe Maurer. And, B, he's still crushing line drives. I think that's a good thing. Number three, the confounding variable of the concussion. Yes, he's aging. He's a mid-30s former catcher, now first baseman. Yes, those guys tend to decline with age, and no one's arguing that Joe Maurer is getting any closer to his prime. No, he's getting farther away from it. Uh, But the recovery from the concussion, at least the seeming recovery, I I don't know what impact that has. I don't know how to quantify it, but I think it's a non-zero impact. And so I think he's a little bit different. He's in a bin on his own. You don't exactly get to lump him in on the aging curve that just says he'll forever get worse because he's farther away from his age 27 to age 30 seasons. Mm -hmm. Fourth and final thing, I think there's a little bit more room for some batted ball luck for Joe Maurer. That was one of the reasons I predicted a bounce back. Right now, Joe Maurer's BABIP, for the stats geeks out there among our audience, is 318. His career, BABIP. Is 343. Shifting might be taking some of that away, though. I absolutely agree with that, and I absolutely agree that, hey, 33, 34, these guys tend to start having worse BABIPs because they're worse hitters and, like, little nubbers hit up the middle don't necessarily equate to having a sustainably higher-than-average batting average on balls in play. I, I Trust me. I'm on board with all that stuff. I, mean, I if, get it all. Like, what if shifting is taking, I'm making this up, 15 or 20 or even 30 points off that, then it's And age normalized. is taking 10 or 15 points off, and, you know, there, there are a lot of different explanations for why it might be lower. I just think a hitter who draws more walks than he strikes out, who hits a ton of line drives, and who's smoking the ball can afford to have a higher-than-average batting average on balls in play. I don't guarantee that it's going to finish the season higher than 318, but I'm not confident enough that it's on its way down that I'd sell my Joe Maurer stock. For all those reasons, 
I'm holding. All right, what just for fun here? His current batting line right now through almost 40 games: 275, 392, 359 for a 751 OPS. What do you think he finishes with? Ballpark me what you think his batting line is going to be at the end of the year. I'll give you mine after you give me yours. Is this like a? I'll tell you. I'll, mine g- I'll, g- I'll give you mine first then. All right. All right. <laughs> I think actually I think 275 is a really good over under. Yep. I think that's a great over under for him. I'll so I'm going to say I'm going to say he he upticks in average but winds up sacrificing some of the on base with strikeouts. He's going to trade walks for strikeouts. So I'm going to say he finishes with a 280 average. So it'll be his his 3-year high batting average. The on base comes down because the walks go away a little bit. 283 65 and a sub 400 slugging of some kind. So sub 400. Okay. Yeah. That's a pretty good line. Uh you know, if if Joe Mauer hits 280-365-400 as a first baseman occasional DH, is that worth 23 million? No. Oh, no, not, not, not even close. close, but it's worth about 10 maybe depending on his defensive contribution. But I think given the last 2 years, it's almost like it's almost like it's a circular conversation about his production versus his contract versus his expectations versus his present reality versus his personality versus the way we perceive baseball. It's this constant, constant circular tug of war. Um, I'll, I'll just give you my line. If you're going to give me, let's say, if you're going to give me 274 as his batting average, I'll take the over. So higher than 274. I am going to go with you said 365 and let's mm-hmm. just use 390 cuz right now he's at a 392 on base percentage. I'll take the under mm-hmm. on 390, so below 390 for anyone who's tracking this over the podcast. I guarantee we'll have somebody write these down and tell us at the end of the year which one of us is an idiot. Uh, that's on Probably you. Me. De- Devlin, that's on you, buddy. De- Devlin and uh, <laughs> well, Marcus was tracking our rankings for a long time, too, on, on your radio show. Take our predictions. Marcus, uh, if we're talking about the same Marcus, Marcus was doing our cram session yep, on exactly. Roycey and Mackey. Yep. Uh, that was awesome. I still have some of those emails saved. Actually, I think Marcus gave me a list of, like, 100 movies that I have to watch to consider myself, like, a part of mainstream society. Have you been watching some of those? Uh Put it this way, I'm still working on the list. Okay. Um, Joe Maurer, 274 batting average, higher. 390 on base percentage, lower. 359, which is his current slugging percentage, higher. Higher. He'll hit some doubles. He's got six doubles on the year. He's going to hit more home runs. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me that he's hitting the ball this hard and he's only hit one over the fence. He's not going to hit 25, but could he hit 10? Actually, here's something amazing just in, in terms of counting stats. Sure. He's only scored 10 runs this season. Yeah, the lineup sucks. There's so many right. guys. There's, there's so, How crazy is that? There's so many guys like uh, Ian Desmond right now. I think he scored about 30 runs for the Rangers already. And it's not like he's an on-base machine, but that lineup is pumping him through. So It's bad. Um, before we wrap up this podcast, the Twins have a savior coming. The Twins, I saw you tweet this, so I'm stealing your tweet here. Go ahead. The Twins outfield going into the week here. Combined, 213 batting average. That's not one outfielder who happens to be starting is off to a rough start and is batting 213. No, it's all of them are batting 213 yeah. on the season so far. 
So the twins went to the bargain DVD rack over at uh, Walmart, and they found Robbie Grossman, 26-year-old, yeah. sort of a journeyman. He's been with Pittsburgh now, Cleveland, maybe another team in there somewhere. And now the twins have picked him up right. off of some scrap heap. Hmm. Probably going to be in a Twins uniform before too long. Almost, if Eddie Rosario keeps uh, yeah, playing the way he has. Almost no doubt that he's going to be a big leaguer with the Twins. God. The way I look at it, and Robbie Grossman, by the way, if you're thinking, I've heard that name. Where's He was with the Astros for a number of years and actually Astros, had, a, that's right. had a couple of good years. It was like, oh, Robbie Grossman, that's a bit player. You know, he's not going to be an all-star. He's just sort of a guy, but he fills out a lineup for a team that projects to one day be good. Well, it hasn't exactly worked out for him. He had a bad year. Uh, was it last year? I think 2015 was his off-the-rails awful yeah, year. His numbers were gross, man. Yeah, disgustingly gross. Like, oh, I have it here on the— I don't think the, you got that. This is the his column. numbers were gross, man. Yeah, I got it. It was oh, just God. a horrible pun. Come and the on. play on words—all uh, right, I'll give it to you. It was pretty great. <laughs> I just wasn't willing to acknowledge. Um, all right, so 2015, 143 with a 222 on base percentage and 245. And you're thinking to yourself, God— that's awful. Yeah, it is awful, but that's basically what the Twins are churning out every once in a while in left field and on an almost daily basis in center field right now. Twins outfielders, as you mentioned, are combining to hit. It's 218 with a 277 on base percentage and a 355 slugging percentage. That's their whole outfield this year in 500 plate appearances. That's awful. Primary culprits, Eddie Rosario's hitting 213 with a 232 on base percentage, Danny Santana's hitting 250 with a 268 on base percentage. Those are guys that in an ordinary organization in a typical year lose their jobs in a heartbeat, and the Twins have had to rely on them for the most part throughout the course of the season to be there every once in a while, left fielder and their starting center fielder. Uh, that pretty much sums it up for the Twins this year, and I would just betting on that based on the fact that Grossman's a – 26-year-old outfielder who has some big league success and most recently opted out of his minor league deal with the Cleveland Indians when he wasn't put on their roster. I'm not a betting man. I learned long ago that betting on sports is just a probably careless practice unless you're, you know, like, who's that, Vulgaris guy? Uh, Bob Vulgaris, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, but he pretty much hired people to build projection systems for him now. His his methodology is much different than what I'm about to say here, and that is that if you were putting some sort of futures odds on Robbie Grossman being in a major league uniform with the Twins this year, I'd say you can more or less book it. Uh, No matter what, whether Robbie's in the outfield or whether they just roll with the current one, we can all agree the Twins outfield is pretty gross, man. Stay tuned for 60-second AP News headlines.